0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning, church. Very, very warm welcome to you if this is your first time here at LCC. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Shane, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at LCC North Lakes. And I'm super excited this morning because we are kicking off our new series in the book of Daniel. And so we're going to spend the next 11 to 12 weeks walking through each chapter of this book. And the more time that I spent reading and studying and praying over this book, the more that I realized it is one of my favorite books. There is so much gold in this book, and it is actually incredibly relevant for where we find ourselves today, even though it was written thousands and thousands of years ago. And as we look at this book, the truths that we're going to see in Daniel are going to stir our hearts to trust all the more in the God of the Bible. And so my prayer really for this series, as we, as we kick it off this morning, is that we would see three things in this book, that we would see three things in the entire book of Daniel. The first thing uh, I hope and that we will see, which I think is on every single page, is that God is the sovereign king above all, that he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords and it is him alone that sits on the throne. And then the second thing that we're going to see through this book is, because God is our sovereign king, what it looks like to live faithfully unto him, especially when we find ourselves in a place or situation that might not be comfortable for us. And then the last thing I think we're going to see in Daniel, and I really hope that we see in every book of the Bible, is Jesus. As we walk through this book, we are going to see not just a man named Daniel as a great example, but one who points to someone who is greater, and that is Jesus. Jesus. And as we walk through each uh, chapter of Daniel, we're going to see how the situations and how Daniel handles them and how his visions all the more point us to trust in Jesus and to see uh, who he is as a person, his nature and his character. But this morning, we're just going to cover four verses, the first four verses that Rosie just read out. And so before we do that, I would love if you would just pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us this morning. And as we open God's word, as uh, I preach, I I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that you would illuminate the word of God to our hearts, that you would uh, remind us of your goodness and your grace, of your power and your sovereignty this morning. And when we leave people changed, looking more like Christ, that we would go out and trust in you no matter our situations. And so I thank you what you are going to do in and through this, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to cover all 12 chapters of Daniel. So if you've read Daniel before, you would know that the first six chapters of Daniel are really exciting stories, a kind of historical narrative where we, we meet Daniel and we meet his three compadres, and they have the coolest names in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and in fact, I told my wife, Lauren, if we ever have triplets, we're calling them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And she instantly refused, but that's Okay because I will live my triplet life through this book. But in the first six chapters, they're full of exciting stories, well-known stories of Daniel. Uh, and if you grew up in a Christian home, you would have heard some of these stories. Maybe Daniel in the lion's den, whether, you know, if you grew up in a Christian home or really if you've been around Christianity at all, you probably would have heard of this story of Daniel and the lion's den. Or maybe the fiery furnace as the three boys are cast into the fiery furnace. In fact, in the first six chapters of Daniel, we get one of the most well-known sayings in the world, not just in Christianity, in the world, and that is the writings on the wall. Who's heard that saying before? That is from chapter five in the book of Daniel. And so the first six chapters of Daniel are just stories about Daniel and how he walks and lives faithfully in Babylon. And then the next six chapters of Daniel, it kind of transitions from stories about Daniel to, to visions from Daniel. As God gives Daniel these visions and these dreams, and it starts to get a little weird. And we call these last six chapters uh, apocalyptic literature, because Daniel kind of peers into the future with incredible accuracy, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years into the future, and describes events of what it's going to be like as God gives Daniel these visions. And and, and some people refer to these last seven chapters of Daniel of the revelation of the Old Testament. And so I'm super excited to get into these chapters. But like I said this morning, we're just going to look at the first four verses. So let's just read the first verse together again this morning. Verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so it's really helpful when the authors of the Bible kind of give us a timestamp of kind of what's going on in the context behind it. And so I think it'd be helpful for us this morning if I kind of just do a bit of an overarching picture of how we got here, kind of look at kind of biblical narrative, where we are in Israel's history, who is King Jehoiakim, who is King Nebuchadnezzar, and why is he coming to take over Jerusalem? And so I think what will be helpful for the next two to three minutes, I'm just going to give us a background. In fact, we're going to go all the way back to where we left off last year in Exodus, As God had just rescued his people from slavery and taken them out into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 or so years on the way to the promised land. And then we pick up in Joshua as God takes his people into the promised land now and they begin to conquer uh, the regions and take over and defeat their enemies by the grace of God. And, And this is where they divide into the 12 tribes of Israel. And then what we read for, for the next kind of period in the Bible is as these, these, these tribes kind of turn away from God and follow idols and then come back and repent, and there's kind of this cycle of apostasy that we hear about. And so God sends judges into this, into this moment to kind of call Israel back from repentance to follow Yahweh. But all the while, they're crying out for an earthly king. They say, God, give us an earthly king. Like every other nation has an earthly king. And God says, you don't need an earthly king. I am your king. I am good enough. And yet they continue to cry out. And so God, even though he had warned them, he gives them a king. And this is where we meet the first king of Israel, Saul. And so as Saul, he kind of starts out all right, but then we read that he actually turns bad. And so then God raises up David, and we all know King David. And then God makes a covenant with David. He makes a promise with David that one day there will be that a king who will come from his line. A king who will establish a kingdom that will rule and reign forever. But like Saul, Daniel kind of does some shady stuff. So he kind of dies and Solomon is raised up, which is David's son. And then Solomon dies and then his two sons kind of come up and they they fight for the seat, for the throne. This is Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And so if you know kind of the Old Testament, what happens is the nation of Israel is actually now divided into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom of Israel, And the southern kingdom, which is now known as Judah. And so what we read in Kings and Chronicles is the lifespan of these two kingdoms. And so in the northern kingdom of Israel, what happens is they have 19 or so consecutive kings and every single one of them is bad. Every single one of them disobeys God and God warns them. He sends prophets to warn them. And in 722 BC, what happens is the Assyrian army comes in and conquers the northern kingdom of Israel and they're gone. They're wiped out. And so that all that's left is the southern kingdom of Judah. And so in their lifespan, they have about 19 to 20 kings as well. Some kings are good, but mostly, again, bad kings. And God is warning them, turn and repent, follow me. And then a king is raised up, King Jehoiakim, one of the last kings of Judah. And what happens is he's not a great king. And so we read in the third year of his reign, This kingdom called Babylon comes and destroys and besieges the southern kingdom of Judah. And now there is no longer a nation of Israel. And this is where we pick up in the book of Daniel. Like Israel is no longer, they're they're scattered everywhere. Babylon has taken them over. In fact, Babylon, they come in three waves. In the first wave, they come and they get Daniel and a few of the vessels of the house and they take them back. And the second wave, they come and they take more of uh, Israel with them. And in this, Ezekiel is actually taken to Babylon. And then the third time they come, they destroy the temple and all is lost. And so we begin this book of Daniel thinking, like, what is going on? Like, where is the hope for Israel? Where is the hope? Like, what is happening? And so probably a good question is why is it necessary to go through all that? Well, first, I think it's helpful to see where we are in the story but also to realize that God had already rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. But because of their sin and rebellion, again, they find themselves in a foreign land that isn't their own with no king and no kingdom. And so as we look at the story of Daniel, it highlights this pivotal point in Israel's history where, again, there seems to be this promise, no longer of a promised land, but of a promised king, but but no hope of that promise ever coming about. There's not even a kingdom anymore for a king to rule and reign over. And so it's easy for us to read the book of Daniel as we're going to go through over the next 12 or so weeks and just see Daniel as this great example of a man who lives faithfully for God. And that is a theme in this book. Daniel is a young boy when he's taken into captivity, probably between 14 and 17 years of age. And he is a faithful man who is devoted to God alone. But the more that we read, Daniel, and the more I hope that you will see over the next coming weeks is this story is actually all about the kings. It's all about the the rising up and the falling down of kings as kingdoms collide with one another. And the true question that Daniel tries to answer is who is ultimately the king on the throne? Who is ultimately the king of kings? And so I think we're going to see a bit of that this morning. And so let's go back to our text. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel too, both of royal family and of the nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And so as King Nebuchadnezzar comes and and kind of takes over and destroys the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem, what he does is he takes some of the vessels of the house of God back and puts them in his treasury. And this was actually quite a common thing for pagan kings to do. As they would go and conquer foreign kingdoms, they would take whatever was valuable to their kingdom and to their kingdom's God and bring it back to their kingdom and place them in their God's temple. It's kind of a way of saying, my God is better than your God. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar went and took some of these vessels and placed them in his temple, he was saying that the the, the God of Israel is no match for the God of Babylon. That's Nebuchadnezzar's declaration. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar, his name actually means Nabu protects the crown. And so Nabu was one of the pagan gods of Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar is saying, the God of Israel is no match for the gods of Babylon. Babylon. Like if there was a fist fight between the two gods, who would win? And Nebuchadnezzar would be like, "Well, whose treasures in whose temple? Whose people are in whose kingdom? Who conquered who? And so the question that we ask, and I guess the question that Israel would have been asking is, where is God in all of this? Like there's, there's no hope of a king, and there's no, there's no kingdom, and our, our God seems to have been defeated. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes. And he takes the treasure, but he also takes some of the people, some of the royal family, back into his nation, into his kingdom. And we'll see next week that Nebuchadnezzar's plan isn't to actually bring them and throw them in jail and to keep them captives. What he does is he actually tries to indoctrinate them and assimilate them into Babylonian life. And so he tries to make them look and sound and act like Babylonians. He teaches them the language and he kind of like helps them flourish in this foreign kingdom because his aim is to make them forget where they came from and the God that they served. And so we're going to look at that more next week. But what we see is that this is a devastating end to the nation of Israel. Like devastating, like what is happening? The prophet Jeremiah, he, he warned Israel of this. He said, this is going to happen if you don't repent, and then it does. And the question they would have been asking, I guess the question Daniel would have been probably asking is, where is God in all of this? Like, what is God doing? Has he just been overthrown by the Babylonians so God has left? And I guess that's a question that we ask sometimes too. Like, how many of us walk through this life and ask, where is God? Like, what is God doing in our midst? Maybe we find ourselves at a, at a stage of life that we never planned would happen. We never pictured being here. And so we're asking, like, what is God doing? This is especially true in the midst of suffering. When we ask, where is God? Is he even here? Because if he was here, he would save us from this, right? Like, if, he, if God really cared and if it was powerful, he would stop it, right? Like, that's the question that we ask. And so where is God in the midst of this exile? Where is God when his people are taken into captivity? Where is God when his temple is destroyed? What is God doing? And I think we get the answer to this in verse two. And really, when we understand this verse, we're going to understand the rest of the book of Daniel. It says, and then the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave Israel into the hands of the Babylonians. See, if God wanted to save his people, he would have saved them. But he handed them over. See, when when, when Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was conquering Israel, it was God who was using Nebuchadnezzar to, to bring judgment on his people. No one can stand against God. There is no king in heaven or on earth that can stand against the great I Am. He holds all things together. He is the king of kings. He is above all and in all. And he is working, even when we do not see it. When the Assyrian army came to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, it wasn't God's time yet. And so he sends one angel out. And in one night, this one angel takes out 185,000 of the Assyrian men like that. That's an angel. Imagine what the great I am can do. He is the Lord of lords. He is powerful above all. And so when it looked like King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were winning, no, God was working. It was God who was handing them over into captivity. Why would he do that? Why would God hand his people over? Because he warned them through the prophet Jeremiah that this was going to happen if they do not repent and they did not. So God did what he said he would do. He is faithful to his promises. And that's actually good news for us here this morning. And that's good news for the exiles in Babylon that God is the sovereign king who will do what he says he will do. He will keep his promises. And so what we're going to see on every single page of Daniel is that God is a sovereign king at work. God is working and moving and saving and redeeming and rescuing and building up and tearing down the kingdoms of the earth. He is in control of all situations and everything. And so the book of Daniel has to offer us the same thing that it offered the original audience confidence and hope that God is at work even if we do not see it. The book of Daniel offers us us confidence and hope that God is working in our midst even if we do not understand or see what He is doing because He is the sovereign King of the universe. And so why is this good news for Israel? Like, why would Daniel add this? Why is this good news? Well, it's good news because he is faithful to keep his promises. And so the promise that one day they would come, a king who would establish a throne and a kingdom that will reign forever, that hope was still alive. And so the nation of Israel could look to the sovereignty of God and know he is faithful and he is able and he is powerful to keep his promises. And so there one day will be a king and we will get out of here. And so as we read Daniel, this this theme of this king and kingdom are going to keep coming up more and more and more. Church, God's sovereignty should give us hope. should give us comfort in a world that is full of darkness and sin in the midst of confusion because He is in control. He is in control and He is working all things for our good and His glory. Like that should give us hope this morning that God is redeeming all things. So from salvation to glorification, our hope is in the God who rules and reigns above all. A God who is powerful and able and a God who loves us dearly. And so while this book highlights God's sovereignty over the big things, it also points to God's sovereignty in the little moments as we're going to see. God working in the day-to-day lives of His people. And so church, I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know you can trust God. I don't know you can trust God because He cares for you, because He is in control. He holds your past, present, and future in His hands. And so sometimes you might find yourself in situations that you don't understand. Often when we're walking through that valley of the shadow of death or the the dark night of the soul, we just cry out like, Lord, save me from this. Take me out of this. But we need to remember that God is in control. And so maybe, just maybe, God has placed you where you're meant to be. Where you are today, you can have confidence is where you are meant to be because of the sovereign rule and reign of our God. But there are times that are hard. But God's plan and His His vision is greater and higher than we could ever imagine. We can trust Him. We can trust God. And often we'll say this as Christians, that God sees the big picture and we don't see the big picture. And whilst I get what's going on there, I don't think that's fundamentally accurate because God doesn't just see the big picture, He painted the picture. So every brushstroke in creation is God's handiwork. And so no matter what you're facing day to day, no matter what you're facing in your life, God is in control. And that is good news for us. And so maybe this morning some of us have come in here in difficult times. Maybe some of us are facing breakdowns in relationships this morning. Maybe there's, there are family issues going on. Maybe it's stuff at work. Maybe there are people in here in a stage of life they don't want to be in. There are people here desiring to be married. There are people in here desiring to be parents. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're mourning the loss of a loved one. Paul and Tracy, they're not here this morning but they're facing a difficult time as Tracy's mother-in-law is in hospital in the ICU in an induced coma. Like that's a difficult situation to be in. But our hope and our comfort is that God's in control. And so this doesn't mean that these times are going to be easy. Please hear me. It doesn't mean that as Christians, we need to walk around in pain, suffering with a fake smile on our face. That's not what it is. But what it does mean that God is sovereign is that we don't have to lose hope in the midst of these situations. That we can have peace even when we don't understand. And that in every trial and suffering and situation that we face, we can be reassured that God holds all things together. Proverbs 16.33, it says this, it says, The lot is cast in the lap, it's like the dice is rolled, but, but every decision is from the Lord. Every decision is from the Lord. John Piper, when he's talking about this verse, he says, and I don't know why he uses this, but if you go to Vegas, all the dice that is rolled, whatever that dice lands on, the Lord is making that decision. And so I'm not encouraging you to go to Vegas, but I'm saying <laughs> the Lord is in control of everything, every minute thing, every big grandeur. God is in control. And so I don't know what your future holds, but God does. God does. And so this is easy to say when things are going well, right? It's easy to say God's in control when things are going well in our life. And it's extremely hard to say when things are not going well. And so in 2021, I had the most difficult so far year of my life, by far the most difficult year of my life. After me and Lauren tried to get pregnant for about three years, we finally fell pregnant with our first baby and then had a miscarriage. And that was ridiculously difficult. But a month later, my mom died unexpectedly. She went to bed and didn't wake up. We still don't know why. And then two months after that, we had our second miscarriage. And then we finally fell pregnant again and had our third miscarriage. And then my grandma died a week later. And then when we didn't think anything else could happen, we found out Lauren had a brain tumor. And I say this because in the midst of those difficult 12 months, probably more often than not, I questioned whether God was good. I questioned whether he was at work, what he was doing. I questioned whether he was even powerful enough to stop any of this. Churches, I hate to question that stuff, but, but all the more, we were trying to remind ourselves, trying to cling to the truth that actually God is in control and his plans are good even when we do not see it. And sometimes we might never see it and I still have no idea what God was doing or is doing through that. But there has been little glimpses Little moments of grace, I would call them. Where I'm like, oh, I see that. Like, that. That's only happened because of that. And so we can, we can trust God and it's not easy in our situation. And, and there are people in this church who are going through some really, really tough times right now. And I want to encourage you, do not lose hope. The book of Daniel tells us we, we don't have to lose hope because God is in control and it's him who sits on the throne. One of the most out-of-context verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 29.11. Right? We love this. Like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We've all heard this before. Maybe you've got it on a coffee, coffee mug or on your wall at home. Did you know this is actually the context in which Jeremiah writes that, in which God offers that hope and that promise to his people, to the exiles in Babylon when all is lost, when they have no idea what God is doing or how they're possibly going to get home. God offers this hope. He says, I have a plan for you. Like, I have a plan for you. And the plan is good. And the plan includes a future for you, one that's going to be prosperous. And I'm going to bring you home. But before that, he says, you're going to have to stay here for about 70 years, though. You're going to be stuck here for 70 years. But this is true for us, that God is in control. He has a plan and a a hope. We can have a hope in that because his plan is good. Church, God is good. Like he is, like he he really is. And not just because we can have hope in him, not just because he gives us a future, because of Jesus done on the cross. Like we can see the greatest act of love in the world as he laid his life down for us. You cannot look at that and say, God isn't good. As he freely offers us grace and forgiveness, lavishes that upon us. Our God is good. And so church, no matter how far outside the plan you had for your own life, you might see, God's plan's better. His ways are higher. They're greater than ours. And so we can trust him. Like he's, like he's got it. Like he actually has got it. And so like I said, I don't know what you're going through. But God does what he does for a reason and nothing is ever lost. Whether you're taken into exile, whether you lose a loved one, no tear is ever wasted. And the hope is that one day he will wipe them all away. Psalm 135.6 says this, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and the seas and all their depths. The Lord does whatever pleases him. Isaiah 46.9 says this, This is God speaking. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I will do all that I please. And then Daniel 4.35, and we'll get to this in a few weeks. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is a sovereign king. He is our sovereign God above all. And we're going to read over the next few weeks, there will be kingdoms that collide. There'll be earthly kingdoms and earthly kingdoms. We're going to read spiritual kingdoms and spiritual kingdoms all colliding. And at the end of the day, all will fall or bow to the great I am. We're going to read, I think it's in chapter 7, one of my favorite stories. There is this battle going on between these beasts who are attacking each other, and there is destruction everywhere. And the great I Am walks in, and he does something which is the coolest thing that you can ever read in the midst of this battle. And I'm not going to ruin it this morning, so you have to come back to read about it then, or you can just open your Bible when you get home. But he's he's so great. He is powerful, and he loves you and cares for you. And so as the band come up, I just want to finish with this. And the more, the more I thought about this line, the more like God does what he pleases. Like God does what pleases him. That it pleased God to hand the Israelites over to Babylon because of their sin and rebellion. That's what pleased the Lord. And in the face of our sin and rebellion, of us being enemies of God. What pleased God was to take our place. When we deserve to be handed over to destruction, what pleased God was to send his son to die on our behalf. That is what pleased God. And so as you look at the story of Jesus, of the Romans taking him, crucifying him on a cross, Daniel reminds us that, hey, God was at work in that. And we know this side, that he is with us. And that that was God's sovereign plan and it pleased the Lord to do that. And so I want to finish with Isaiah 53, 5 to 10. Most of us would know this. It goes like this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul made an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Church had pleased God to send his son to die on our cross for our behalf. That if we place our trust and hope in him, We would have life. We would have forgiveness. We will be reconciled into this relationship. And the good news that Daniel has to offer us in that is that God is faithful to his promises. And so if he says that is true, then that is true. He is worthy to be praised. And so my prayer for the rest of this series, that we would all the more hope and trust in the sovereign king of the universe and the one who controls all things. And some of my, my favorite song lyrics in the world is this. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. And so as a church, let's be empowered to now live as those who serve a king who is sovereign and in control. It empowers us by his spirit to now go and live faithful lives, trusting in him, serving him, offering our life back to him, to the great I am. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all. Over the stars and the galaxies and the planets. To the little moments in our day to life. God, you are sovereign over every situation that we face. Every difficulty that we go through. And God, I thank you that, that that truth gives us hope and courage and comfort as you promise promise to get us through, we can trust that promise. As you promise one day to wipe away every tear from our eye. And so God, as we go through this life and we face these situations and circumstances that we do not understand, help us have confidence in you, that you are a good God. And you have promised that all those who place their trust in you will be forgiven, will receive life eternal get you and so we thank you ultimately for that promise and Holy Spirit let's pray for the rest of this series that every single page of Daniel that we would see your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your power and your might and that we would see Jesus that we would know you all the more as we walk through this series as we walk through this book and it's in your holy and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others.